Welcome to a Practicing Life Podcast, a podcast where you learn about deconditioning your brain on what no longer serves you in all areas of your life and replacing it with thoughts that increase your vitality, joy, and personal power. I'm Ashley Pitzer, the host of this podcast, fantasy author, ascension coach, badass hypnotist, yoga instructor, personal trainer, and a powerful manifester. Now, let's align your mind, body, and spirit and celebrate you because you matter. Hi, this is Ashley Pitzer, your host with Practicing Life Podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about our soul and how, if you are an empath, you seem to attract twin flames, if you will, but you seem to attract people that take advantage of you. Some people would call this that you attract someone with narcissistic traits. Now, this is a fad in our life right now. It's, um, kind of a flashy term, but it doesn't mean that it hasn't existed in the past and that it won't exist in the future. And this is kind of, to me, in a way, a yin and a yang. So one of my beliefs is that we are here and we all have lessons to learn. And so one of the lessons that if you're an empath that you've probably learned or on your journey to learning or need to learn is that you are responsible for protecting your own energy that you have the responsibility to decide who is a part of your life and who isn't invited. Now, this is really interesting because if you're an empath, you, you know, you may wear your heart on your sleeves. You can feel other people's emotions You have a tendency to be responsible for other people's emotions because you may not have been taught to separate your emotions from somebody else's. And since you can feel their emotions, it feels like yours. It feels weighted. It feels on your skin. It feels in your heart. And and therefore, this can be a very challenging learning experience. Now to address people who have narcissistic behaviors, whatever reason that they have it. One of the things that they lack is the ability to have empathy. And maybe they have it to some degree, because I believe that there's a perspective uh, perspective. I believe there's a spectrum just like we see in our, you know, uh, just like we see with people who are diagnosed with autism, there's a spectrum. And at once upon a time, there used to be Asperger's and there used to be autism. And there was a separation between those two diagnoses. And now it's all considered one, right? There's a spectrum. And so, you know, working with people, you know, you see a lot of variances, but one of the things that I commonly see is that people who lack empathy they gravitate towards people who have a lot of empathy. And one of the main reasons for this is because there's a control element. So 
let's go to neuroscience for a moment. Your brain is beautiful and amazing as it is. It absolutely loves predictability, familiarity. It loves safety. So however you were raised before you were able to develop that critical factor where you were able to start thinking for yourself, negotiating your own terms, um, questioning things. So from the ages of like zero to eight years old, you know, there's variances even with that. Some people it's seven, some people it's 10. Everybody has a different point in their life when they develop this ability. For instance, my child who has a rare genetic disorder, she's 13 and she still hasn't developed that ability to critically think and question now she's developing the ability to um, come along those lines. She's close to that, but she's not there yet. So everybody is unique. Everybody is special. Everybody functions in their own unique ways. So for your childhood, when you were brought up, you were introduced to elements in your life and not my beautiful four elements, five elements. If you count spirit of wind, water, air, fire, it's not those elements, but elements of your environment, how you were raised, how you were treated, what you were expected to do, how you were expected to be, you know, what was considered right, what was considered wrong, how you were treated personally, what boundaries you were given, what boundaries you were taught to respect. All of these shape your beautiful brain. And as you get older, I find that the older that you get, the more you revert into some of these earlier childhood behaviors where you start to emanate what you saw. So um, we, we all joke around, there's commercials out there that even joke around about this, but you know, there's that common uh, like stereotype that you become like your mother or you become like your father regardless if you set out to be opposite of them or not, as you get older and older, you kind of step back and you're like, dang, I just heard my mother's voice come out of me. Or, you know, like I even, even, even now I tell my, my oldest teenager, I'm like, do you know who that just sounded like? And my teenagers will be like, what? I'm like, that sounded like your dad, you know? So, I mean, we do it no matter what age we we mirror what we were taught. We mirror who we are around. And that's one of the reasons why if, if you were, you know, taught as I was taught, and many of you were, <laughs> that it's super important who you surround yourself with because you have a tendency to be influenced by the people that you were with. Now I've done an earlier podcast on this and, and you know, one of the things that I'm teaching people is to be able to protect their energy, protect um, their influences on them so that they don't have to, you know, necessarily shelter themselves and hide under a rock or become antisocial. Um, speaking of that antisocial, one of the things that um, the way the brain works, right? So when you receive those messages of don't talk to strangers, like strangers are bad, strangers are going to kidnap you. Okay. Like I even did this with my kid, but now I know so much about the brain. I would restructure it. I would restructure it. And um, so, you know, one of the connections that they're making is that 
adults now, like my age that were taught because kidnapping became a thing when I was a child. Um, blonde hair, blue eyed kids were like constantly kidnapped when I was uh, probably in kindergarten, first grade around that age. So there became this fear, don't leave the house. Don't, you know, do this, don't do that. Like, don't talk to strangers. Right. And so now these adults that are, you know, my age are, you know, uh, some of the like earlier generations that are becoming antisocial, right? They don't want to talk to people. Like everyone is a stranger. We're a stranger until we introduce each other. And so you have that embedded message that don't talk to strangers. And until you are introduced and you get to know someone, you're automatically strangers. So that message though, doesn't discriminate. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of work to be done in your subconscious mind, but I just wanted to illustrate to you, this is how your subconscious mind works. You receive messages, you receive programming, you receive lessons in your childhood. And the older you get, the more you revert back to some of these earlier childhood memories, because it's what's known, it's what's safe, it's what's predictable, right? So when we're talking about somebody who is empath, empath, someone that is an empath, <laughs> you will see that they were this way from their childhood. And for many of the people, myself included, as you get older and older, you, um, some of the ways that you cope is to kind of shut off everything and you become doll. Um, not like D O L L, but D U L L. <laughs> so you, you shut off some of your natural gifts. And some of the reasons that you do that is because you can't, you haven't taught yourself how to distinguish your energy from another person's. And if you have, you haven't learned how to protect yourself from that energy. And then thirdly, you don't have the boundaries to reinforce it. And I'm going to go into this deeper, but then I want to flip over to someone who was, um, exhibits more of what we traditionally consider narcissistic behavior. So that's somebody who has low empathy or lacks empathy, right? And they are, they are usually people who want to control things and control again, goes back to your subconscious mind. And that's what something that you you know, something that your brain wants to do, it wants to control things. So both parties are controlling things. It's just that we only view it as control when we view it from the narcissistic behavior. The narcissistic behavior is exercising a lot of control over somebody else. And so in order to get their needs met, they are constantly dictating to other people what they will do and how they will act, how they will perform. Um, they will also disregard, dismiss people's emotions, bypass them. They will ignore boundaries. Now this isn't necessarily because they're a bad person. Like I know that there's um like this whole good and evil situation, but this is just lessons. That's all it is. And they they have a good heart too. They have a good heart too. This is just what they have taught and this is also just one of the things that they they know how to survive. This is their coping skill. Now, some people are really, really deeply embedded into these behaviors. They may throw fits. They may like, if you work with them in the office, they may like 
throw their phone, throw a file, they may scream, they may stomp. Doesn't that remind you of the three-year-old, right? <laughs> but um, this is truly just how they know to get what they want. They know that when they exhibit anger, which is very common, when they exhibit anger, people are going to react and respond to get them what they want. So if we look at this from a, a parent-child relationship, and like I mentioned, doesn't that remind you of a three-year-old? I want you, if you're a parent, you can probably relate to this, but you know, regardless of how old you are, you have probably seen a kid at the grocery store who wants that candy bar or wants that cotton candy or whatever it may be. And the parent says, no, right. That's their boundary. They say no. And then the kid goes into a tantrum and we, we understand in that type of relationship that the kid is using any and every tool that they have to get what they want. We understand that we may not like it, um, but we understand it. And this is what really absolutely happens even in adulthood. I often think adults are just uh, masked children. You know, some people are more uh, emotionally mature than others. And some people are more responsible than others. But, you know, in a lot of ways, our inner child comes out, even as adults. I mean, we do a lot of work as and, and when I work with people for coaching and when I work with people in hypnotism, we're working with your inner child because that inner child comes out. So regardless of which side you run, I'm going to talk a little bit about being an empath because there's control there too. And there's a lot of self-control there. There's a lot of control inwardly. All right. But then there's also that control too, where you want peace so much, or you want to avoid contact, uh, conflict so much that you exercise control in a different manner. Now you may not view it as control. You may view yourself as a peacemaker, but you're also trying to control something too. You know, you're trying to control your safety and to you safety is doing what that person says, or just, um, you know, eliminating the conflict so that you can get back to something that feels normal and safe to you. So, a lot of this goes into boundaries, but I want to talk about this from a whole different perspective. We could go on and on. There's so many directions that we can go in this uh, topic, but I want you to think about a rose. Okay. I have a dried rose here. It's beautiful, right? Here it is. Okay. So an empath to me is like a rose, very delicate, beautiful, sensual, soft, soft, hearted. Okay. But guess what a rose also has? It has thorns. And so, you know, nature, nature understands and understands that delicate, soft hearted people, um, even in plants, nature needs a way of protecting itself. So nature gives something soft-hearted and beautiful and delicate like a rose, thorns to protect itself. And so the angle I'm going at here is, is going to be lessons that someone with empath has been taught early in their childhood because it is my belief that they were taught to get rid of their thorns. And then that leaves them defenseless. 
So thorns can be a symbolism for a lot of things. It can be a symbolism for the boundaries that you create. It can also be um, a reverse action instead of having those boundaries like your peacemaker. It can be a lesson that they were taught to comply, to just give the person what they want, to eliminate the threat, so to speak. I mean, it's not necessarily a physical threat, but it could be emotional threat. Um, it could be something that just makes them feel uncomfortable, right? So one of the things that I see is that um, many of us were taught that you should put other people first, right? This is very common in religious contexts. Like, you know, you should take off your own shirt off your back and give it to another person, right? You, you should, um, to be to be like first in the kingdom of heaven is to be last here, right? There's these kind of wisdom that we were taught, regardless of what age, we were taught to have this caring, compassionate empathy. But if you were born empathetic, you're already that rose. You're already this delicate, soft hearted person. And so you, you need those boundaries and you need those thorns to protect yourself. You need to be able to advocate for yourself and say what is okay. And was it, what isn't okay. And when we start to get older and we've lived a life where our thorns are gone and we're, we're at uh, victimhood, I would say, which you know, I am definitely pro personal power. So one of the things I want to teach on is getting people out of victimhood and into their personal power. But when you're somebody who's empathetic, most of the people that I work with are so heavily into victimhood because like that rose example without thorns, they don't have a way to protect themselves and they don't recognize that they were always born to have those thorns to protect themselves. They don't recognize that they are worthy and they deserve, and it is their right to have those thorns. They believe somewhere intrinsically that they are meant to be like at uh, at effect, right. Instead of at cause, right. So that, that really means that anything that comes to them, they just have to mold themselves to, right. One of the things I'm talking about me personally right now. So I know this wholeheartedly that I used to believe I had to be a chameleon. So no matter what environment I was in, I could feel safe. So every environment as somebody who's an empath, I can feel energy in the room. I can most of the time read somebody else's energy. So everywhere I was going in order to fit in and feel safe, I was altering myself everywhere I went to suit whoever I was around. That to me is a chameleon and that's how I behaved. But when you do that, the consequence of it over long-term is you start to lose your own self your own identity. And you start to wonder, well, like, who am I? Especially if you're in a lot of varying groups. And um, 
you know, when you start thinking the thoughts that you're lost and you're broken, you're in victimhood, right? But you know what? I want to teach people that you can still be an empath and you can still have that soft heart and be delicate and have your thorns, right? That you don't have to change to somebody who's like, I'm going to use a a plant metaphor, a cactus, right? Because you're not a cactus. You're not meant to have these spiky thorns and weather these really long storms. You are meant to be what you are, right? And in this case, it's a rose. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just using metaphors because I think it helps people understand things. But the point is, is you were born with this gift, a special gift, because people that are empathetic and have empathy to me, they are the greatest healers. They are the greatest teachers because they can relate to you and they can understand you and they can truly help you in whatever manner it will be. And you will notice that a lot of people who have really high empathy are in service fields. They, they want to make a difference. They want to help. They want to heal. Now on the flip side, you will see that a lot of people who maybe would have what some people would call cold hearts. Um, They are less reactive. They are driven by their own situations. They put themselves first, right? And this is all, this can get really confusing, right? Because part of, well, part of what I'm teaching people with empathy to do is to put themselves first, right? But it's not that they put themselves first over another person, but they just put themselves first as in they understand that they are responsible for the decisions that they make and how they show up in the world. And when they decide to let somebody else steamroll them or walk all over them, that that is actually their personal decision. They are responsible for that because they allowed it. And that's hard to hear. That's really hard to hear. And just as a side note, I'm going to explain to you a a little story from, from my perspective. Um, when I, I had somebody in my life really close to me with narcissistic behavior, actually, okay, let's just be truthful. Like I had a couple. Okay. Because, because this yin and yang relationship is so true. If you are somebody with high empathy, you're going to attract people who are going to walk all over you and who are going to dismiss you and, you know, are going to take advantage of your caring, soft heart. That's why you need the thorns. That's why you need the thorns because you're going to attract that naturally. And it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Because once you have your thorns, you're not going to let those people steamroll you. You're not going to let them walk all over you. You're going to have your own personal power. And you're going to realize that you're giving people permission to walk all over you. That's what I do in coaching. But I'm going to get back to my story, right? I've had a couple of people (laughs) that were uh, very controlling and I allowed them to control me. And even in one situation, I was very much aware of it. So, so many people would come up to me and be like, wow, you know, such and such person, you know, is controlling you. Do you see that? Like, 
They would just blankly call it out for what it is. And I would respond to them like, yeah, I can see that, but I'm also allowing it. And see, I understood that, but I still didn't change anything. And some of that was because I, I wanted to, um, help, you know, like I wanted to, uh, get that validation. I wanted to be viewed as a good person. I wanted, and that's control. This is what I'm saying. Like both parties are controlling. You just don't understand it. You're both controlling at the exact same time in two different ways, because like in, in my example, I wanted to control how people perceived me and I wanted them to perceive me as a kind, loving person. And I identified a kind, loving person as somebody who would put other people first, which meant I was always putting myself not even second, but last, right? Like I was willing to do whatever it took to be that person. All right. So when I got into working me hiring somebody to coach me. One of the things that they explained to me was that I was in victimhood. And I couldn't understand this at first. Like I couldn't understand taking responsibility for something that somebody was doing to me. And that's why I hope I'm explaining it really clearly to you now. That would be my intention and desire. See, even in that one relationship, I understood that that's what I was doing, but I still wanted to put the blame on the other person as, well, they shouldn't act this way. Control. I wanted to control their behavior, but I didn't want to control mine. I didn't want to control the fact that I was responsible for advocating for myself and saying no, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to answer this question. Like you're not privileged enough to know these things, right? Whatever it may be. I wasn't willing to change myself, but I sure did look at the other person and be like, well, how am I at fault for the fact that they're treating me this way? Well, I'm at fault because I continued to allow this person in my life. And even if it was a coworker, I continued to put myself in a situation where I was working with them, right? I didn't make a stand. Well, I did earlier in my, in my youth, I used to make stands all the time and um, rearrange things uh, with my work so that these people wouldn't be in, in my life. But the older I got, the more I tried to be this, um, you know, beautiful, hearted, Christian, valuing woman, right? Like I tried to live these perfect ideals that they have modeled for us in, in the Bible. And the more I tried to behave this way, the more in a one way I was controlling what other people viewed me, how they viewed me and how they interacted me, interacted with me. But I was also giving permission for this circumstances to happen because I was getting rid of my thorns and I was just saying, yes, it is okay to treat me this way. I'm not going to do anything about it. You know, like that's essentially what I was saying. Now, I want to separate this from, you know, physical harm and things like that. Or, um, you know, as somebody who has been raped, I would tell you that I'm going to separate this from that, right? I, first of all, it irritates me to no end that our society says like, oh, well, you deserved this because you dress this way. I do not believe in that. So there's some separation that I want to create in this conversation. 
because whether it's physical harm, you know, a violation of your privacy, um, like rape, things along that things, I do not believe in any situation that you are at the cause of this. But I do believe that there are things that you can do to uh, set up your boundaries. And, you know, like, for let me give you a, for instance, one of the things that they, I'm going to just go way off topic here. I'm sorry. Um, like for one of the things that they talk about for people with empathy, right. Is that they really make eye contact with people and that in itself is known to dissuade things from happening to you. Because if you really look at somebody in the eye and you're not just like, huh like smiling and making this person feel warm and welcome, but you really look at the person and study the person and acknowledge who they are, they're less likely to, you know, throw harsh comments at you or to, you know, follow you down an alley or things like that. Right. There's just a, this is like, as this is not a end all be all. Okay. Like you do this one thing and this is going to save you. No, I mean, there's just some things that happen to us because there's lessons that we all have to learn in life and nature happens like hurricanes happen. Um, you know, acts of God happen. They happen to all of us and there's not always a rhyme or a reason for it, but there's a lesson to learn from it. And there's also a way of taking what you've learned and what you've been through and helping others, right? So getting back to this point, someone who is needing their thorns has to make a decision for themselves that they are worthy and they have to make a decision of what they actually want to control. So you can control being viewed as a nice, kind, loving person like I did, or you can control what you're willing to tolerate and not tolerate. You can stand up for yourself. You can advocate for your needs and you can allow the other person to have whatever experience they want to have over this. So one of the relationships in my life that I'm dealing with, with somebody who has like a narcissistic behavior, you know, I can completely cut this person out 100% and not see this person again. And for um, one particular family member, that is what I have done. And maybe who knows in the future, maybe I will consider a relationship with this person, but where this person is in my life right now, I will not tolerate a relationship with them at all. Now for the other person that's still in my life, I'm giving them space to have their own lessons and to grow. And there's a certain amount of behaviors that I am willing to tolerate because I know that this person is working through their issues and they are learning to become more empathetic because that's just, it's, you know, some people are born with it stronger, but the thing is, is it's just a feeling. Some of us are born with the ability to see auras and have these spiritual gifts. So I'm separating that from this, but I'm just saying as far as feeling feelings, we all can do that. So I'm allowing this person to have space to feel these feelings and to grow. And that also means that I am 
willing to allow a certain amount of behaviors that maybe I would not accept from another person, but I'm willing to accept from this person because I know that they're, you know, in the battlefield in their own mind, learning to navigate this new course and to be a better person. That's that person's intention. The, and, and, and honestly, like just, I know that I'm not giving you all the specifics in here, but I see this person, I see how they're showing up differently at work. I see how, as their empathy grows and their ability to relate to people, I see how it's affecting them in their job. And I would tell you from working with people that have high empathy, it's very similar. It's interesting how there's so many things that separate us and make us really unique and different from one another. But in a lot of ways, we are very similar to other people. We all experience some type of suffering, some type of trauma, and we all deal with it differently, right? And that can distinguish us and make each of us unique and different. But there's common threads between all of us. All right, so I wanted just to kind of wrap this up and kind of talk to you just about what we see people who have more of the narcissistic behavior. They they have to be right. They have to be in control. They are very clear at communicating exactly what they need and what other people to need to do. Um, they have a tendency to blame other people for things. All of these things are just their subconscious mind, keeping them in the safe, keeping them in the known and keeping them in the familiar. And despite them having all of these reactions and controlling what they can control in a lot of ways they're suffering too they're just suffering differently so the person with empathy they may be suffering because they are putting others they're they're practicing so much humility that they're actually causing self-harm to themselves because they're not willing to exercise their thorns their boundaries they're not willing to advocate for themselves. And this is their own personal choice. And the person who is trying to control everything, they're suffering too. It may not seem like it, but I know from working with them that all of that explosive energy that they're experiencing where they lack the control over their emotions puts them at a victim too. They're allowing themselves to allow that inner child who's three, four years old to step in and take over a situation and to throw a fit and to throw a tantrum. And then when that inner child steps back, they're sitting there dealing with a, why did I act this way? Why did I treat this way? You know, like, and depending again, where that person is, because some people, um, more along the lines of a, 
such a deep disconnection within their own soul that they don't have regret or they don't have some of these emotions that would help you get to a caring, loving state there that does exist. But for many of them, you know, they're, they're dealing with the consequences afterwards, silently and quietly. They're also dealing with a lot of issues around feeling inadequate. These are some of the reasons why they react so much and they blame other people because it's so hard for them to take responsibility that it could be their fault, that they could be wrong and what they make that mean. And that causes them to suffer too. Anyway, um, before we close out, I might post this on social media, but there was a really interesting um, picture that I had saw, and this is why I might want to put it on here. So are you a magnet for toxic people? Toxic people look for people who have little to no boundaries. Those are your thorns. Those are your thorns, my love, and you need them because your heart is precious and it is beautiful. But just like in nature, roses need to keep those predators away from them. And that's what the thorns are for. So people can be persuaded and they can allow other people to take advantage of them. This is some of the topics that we talked about already. They, toxic people tend to look for people that are kind of all or nothing that falls into that, um, that perfectionism, people who think very black and white, there's no gray. And without that gray, it's really hard to distinguish what's right for you. Okay. Because black and white is like, well, no matter what, every single situation it is this, or it is that. And in life, there's a lot of gray areas. So in my situation, I've given you two examples very vaguely, by the way, <laughs> I've given you a situation where I made the decision that this one person is 100% cut out of my life. No contact, no phone calls, no emails, no pictures. They're 100% cut out of my life. That is very black and white. There is no in-between. But in this other relationship, I see this person being willing to make changes at their own pace and in their own way. That is a gray area, right? And I'm willing to tolerate certain things. Now I have to, in that relationship, just to make it really clear, I still have to communicate my balance boundaries. So even though I am willing to tolerate a certain amount, I still have to step up to this person and say, Hey, I understand that you're working through this, but this is not okay for me for the time being, I'm going to step back. And when you're ready to kind of get back to this level, then we can talk again. Like, so I have to kind of set this back up. And this is something that I'm willing to do. I, I can't say how long I'm willing to do it, but for right now, I am, but even in, even for myself, there's a boundary that says I'm only willing to tolerate this for so long because somebody can stay, somebody can stay in a certain stage for a really, really long time. And I'm not willing to drain my energy over this long period of time. Okay. So they look for good people that they can manipulate or take advantage of, and they use guilt 
and other maneuvers to control them. This is really easy to do, honestly. If you have somebody who doesn't take responsibility and blames other people, they blame through their anger and they also blame through guilt. And it's really easy in our society to feel guilty, even if you're not an empath, because there's just so many things um, that we are brought up how our society has trained us to be guilty. And I'll give you another example of this. Um, one of my mentors, we have a group that has hundreds of people in it and he'll be like, he'll say something like, um, I know some of you aren't doing your work. You know, you're not doing X, Y, and Z. And I know it, I can see it. Right. Well, I, I will have done the work, right? But in in my earlier days, when I was still doing a lot of self-work myself, um, that guilt would immediately come out. Now he was talking to the whole group as a whole. He wasn't pinpointing me, but there was some little like flag that went off of me. I was like, that's me, that's me. I didn't do the work. I didn't try hard enough. I didn't do more. I could have done more, right? Because that was my perfectionism and my overachieving and um, my eagerness to please and seeking that validation externally. Like, and, and so I was a person in the past who used to make everything like my fault. I did that. The, like he didn't even really, he didn't have to even pinpoint me and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I was just so eager to take on this guilt and make it my fault and make me be responsible for something. Um, one of the things just, I know that a lot of people are, you going to be able to relate to this, but one of the things earlier, especially in my church life, oh, especially in my church life, I'll give you an example here, right? Um, the, preschool, you know, program outside of church that would meet once a week to, we called it little lambs to go through, um, some fun extra Bible study lessons for those early developing ages. And so the person who was leading it had decided to step down and weeks and weeks went by and nobody was stepping up. Well, as the weeks went by, my level of guilt was just increasing. Like I go to this program, I participate, I receive the benefits of it. Like I should, I should step up and do this, even though in my heart, this is not something that I wanted to do. I just felt so responsible because empathy, I could feel every time we met over those weeks, I could feel everybody's angst over this and who was going to take it. And I could feel everyone getting upset that this may be a program that was ending. And, and because I could feel these emotions and because I wanted to be a good person and because I wanted to be viewed as something, you know, specifically that I was looking for, that I was needing validation on, I was willing to step up and take this like responsibility of this role, even though this was not a calling for me. This was not a passion for me. This would have 100% been something that would have drained my energy and I would have had to force myself to do, but I would have gladly done it because I would have gotten the reward of being viewed as a good person as stepping up and being like the role model for our church or whatever it may be. Okay. So it is really easy. Like, it's not like this other person has to come in and, um, you know, force you to do something. Nobody was forcing me to do that, but because I could feel everybody's emotions and I'm, because I identified myself as being responsible for somebody else's emotions and the fixer and the problem solver and the peacemaker, 
right? I was willingly to step up and guilt myself into this. Nobody else had to do this. I did it for myself. This is why I would, I would encourage you to go, especially if you're in, in somebody who has a lot of empathy and you automatically take responsibility for other people's emotions. I would, I would encourage you to go to coaching with me, with somebody else, whatever you need, because you're going to get to a point where you feel more and more disconnected with who you are. And one of the ways that I survived was shutting off my emotions. And I used to go around telling people, I just felt like I was a robot. I just felt like I was a robot because I was shutting down my own feelings and allowing everybody else's feelings to kind of ride my body and ride what I needed to do and what was right and what I shouldn't do and what I should do. Right. I was allowing that because I wasn't practicing any thorns. I wasn't practicing any self-value or self-worth because I was allowing everybody else to decide that for me. All right, we're going to go on to this last point. Toxic people also look for people who are great, but don't know how magnificent they are. And this is another thing I teach, right? Because I teach so much about self-worth and self-value. You have it. You were born with it. You didn't have to earn it. That is a misconception. That is a lie. That is absolutely an illusion. And, and, and if you're an empath and you've gone through people-pleasing behaviors, you've got work to do. You've got work to do because you have to stop that right now. People-pleasing is never going to fill your bucket. It might give you some type of... um stimulation that feels good in your body. It might give you temporarily pressure, but you're always going to be chasing it and you're always going to be seeking it. And that's not who you were born to be. You were born magnificent already. And so I know I've told this story once before, but I'm going to tell it again. I will never forget an interview that I was on I had gone through probably four interviews for this job. They had offered me the position I had accepted. And then um, maybe three or four days before I was starting my job, one of the higher ups demanded that, that he meet with me. He meets with everybody before they get hired on. And this kind of, I kind of slipped through the loop. They, the company knew that they wanted me. And so they pushed it through and then he kind of was like red flag. No, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this person, I don't care if you've given them an offer, they need to meet with me first. And so they called me back in for a, like essentially another interview after already being hired and going through all of the, um, you know, the drug testing, the background checks, I've done all of that. Right. And so here's this thing that they throw in my face you know, in my direction and say, Hey, you, you have to meet with this. And he could decide that he, you know, doesn't like you, doesn't approve of you. And we would rescind our offer. So I go to this interview. I know nothing about this person. He doesn't really even say any much. And he starts asking questions and I'm answering these questions. And like, at this point, I'm so worked up. And again, this is when I was, this is pre coaching. This is pre-hypnosis. And this was, this was who I was back then. A person that was into people pleasing, a perfectionist, a person that was overdoing And boy was this whole situation, just riding on all of these things 
that really triggered all of those emotions for me around um, trying to prove my worth, especially in this situation, you know, because I had already decided I had this job. I had already put in my notice for my other job. Like there's a lot riding on this, right? And this, this manager, this executive was going through all of these questions and not saying anything. And at the end of the interview, he was like, well, you're, you know, you did good. You're hired, you know, whatever. And he said something else to me, and I'm not going to say the exact words because that would identify the person. But what I realized in hindsight is that he was looking for empathetic people, pleasing, overachieving people. That's the only type of people he wanted to hire because he wanted to be able to exercise that control. Boy, did every single person on his staff work relentlessly. People were working 50, 80 hours a week. They were giving up their holidays. They were giving up their weekends. And he could just easily and effortlessly just ask us to do something ask us to do more, have meetings where he expected more and more and more. And all of us, all of us roses lacking our thorns, seeking our value, seeking our worth, we fell in line, right? So there's people out there who will take advantage of you. Because they know that you don't have your thorns. And that's not their fault. That's your responsibility. You clipped them off. You had them clipped off automatically as in your childhood with how you were raised. Thorns can grow back. They're available to you. All right. I just want to remind you all that you matter. And we could definitely go into boundaries. I've done an episode on this already, but boundaries don't have to be hard. Boundaries don't have to be hard at all. If you've gone through setting with your own emotions, you're going to be able to distinguish your emotions from somebody else. If you've gotten quiet and you've sat with yourself, You can start to identify the difference between your emotions and other people's emotions. Yesterday, I was in a situation where somebody was getting really worked up and escalated. And I was just kind of minding my own business and around this person. But because I can sense energy, and even though this person had nothing to do with me and their situation had nothing to do with me. I could feel that pressure on my chest. I could feel tension in my shoulders. I could feel my jaw muscle tightening. And because I spend time with myself and I sit quietly because I do meditation, because I do these exercises, right? This helps me. And I would suggest it for you. And this helps me because I could immediately take a deep breath 
tell myself this has nothing to do with me. This doesn't pertain to me. I'm just noticing somebody else's emotions. And then I can let it go and do nothing about it because it's not my job to fix other people's emotions. Now, if somebody comes to me and they hire me as a coach, I'm going to help them, but I'm not going to fix their emotions. That's a solo job. I can give you tools. I can lead you. I can hold you accountable. But you are always responsible for your own emotions. And emotions come from your thoughts and the thoughts that you're thinking and the thoughts that you're dwelling upon. That's an inside job. It's an inside job. So for those of you that feel emotions, it's an inside job for you too. It's an inside job to know yourself well enough to be able to distinguish between your emotions and another person's emotions. And then it's also a decision and a boundary, a self-boundary to say that you are not responsible for another person's emotions and to get out of that controlling, fixing behavior. I can help a lot of people. And I used to be that people pleaser and I used to be that peacemaker. I certainly can do it. But you know what really I've understood through a lot of lessons. And for those of you who study human design, I'm a three, five profile. So my three is somebody who has to go through life with lots of trials and errors and experiment with every single thing and figure out what's the way that works. So I'm, I'm sharing all of this with you because I'm a person who has tried many things and I've gotten to a point where I know what works and this is why I share it with you, right? So I know meditation and I, and sitting with yourself and learning your own emotions will help you. I know that for a fact, but I can't make you do this work. So what I was saying to you is that I understand now that I was failing to trust other people. I was actually taking away a life lesson for them. I was, I was basically being an enabler. And you guys understand that from working with people with addictions, right? I was an enabler with emotions because I knew how to deescalate somebody. I knew how to solve the problem. I knew what to do. And so in the past, that's what I would do. And I failed to show up as somebody who could love somebody unconditionally and allow them to experience their lesson because without pain, we often don't learn. And so I was taking away their pain, trying to be this loving, kind person, but without that pain, I was denying them the ability to learn their own lesson. I was failing to trust them to work through the issue. I was failing them because I was trying to control and I was trying to make myself comfortable. That is selfish. It's so funny because what I really wanted to be was a loving, kind person. But I was basically telling them they couldn't handle it and that I could. 
So let me do these things for you. Now, I'm a different person. And I can definitely walk alongside somebody while they have their emotions and while they struggle and while they're in their pain, but I don't make it my problem to fix. I have my own problems. And that's often what happens is we're so busy focusing on other people's problems that we ignore ours. We've got enough. We've got enough of our own problems. And so I turn it to me and I work on fixing my own problems and I get those thorns up and I say what I will and I will not tolerate. All right. You guys matter. I love you dearly. And we'll see you next week. If you are loving what you are learning in this podcast, then I invite you to share it with your friends and loved ones. Please share it on your social media channels and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that together we can help more people become aware and have a life full of vitality, joy, and personal power. I would also be grateful for a five-star review. Come join me on Instagram at Practicing Life with Ashley and on Facebook at Ashley Pitzer. I'm grateful that you took the time to let me know how this podcast is helping you. If you would like to connect further, reach out to me at connect at ashleypitzer.com to learn how you can work with me 